so it is one of the most iconic Christmas rom-coms ever and I'm 18 years old and this is the first time I've ever watched it. That is right. Today we are talking about Love Actually, which follows nine intertwined love stories in England during Christmas time and it has the most amazing cast that would take too long to list but look it up because everybody in the cast is a superstar and it's so hyped up and so like the quintessential Christmas rom-com look. When you talk about Christmas rom-coms, Love Actually always comes up, and I had never watched it, and so I was very excited to watch it, and it actually wasn't, like, living up to the hype for me. Like, it got so much hype, and then it just was, it was what it was. Like, I have a lot of opinions, especially on the types of love stories that we have, because some of them are really good and deserve the hype, and some of them were eh. So I have a lot of feelings, so I'm very excited to talk about it books, TV, music, and movies. All things that make a big impact on everyone. I'm constantly gushing about my latest read to anyone who will listen, so I figured I'd turn my rambling into something coherent that people will actually listen to, which means no tuning out halfway through. I'm Maya Ghosh, and this is my take. just going to jump right in and talk about the plot and I'm going to break it up by love story so it's a little less confusing. I think I learned from my episode on Let It Snow where I had three intertwining love stories and I just talked about the movie as it went and it was a little confusing jumping back and forth all the time so I broke it up into love stories. But we start with the intro at Heathrow Airport with all the scenes of everybody like reconnecting and stuff and that was really cute. And we have the quintessential line of love actually is all around, which was adorable. And the first love story we have is Bill and like kind of himself, kind of like a little bit with his manager and appreciating the people around him. But it's more of like a self-growth love story moment. And he records this new version of a Christmas song and does it the old way, which honestly would be me if I was recording and like cover of a song I would just want to sing it the exact same way the artist did it so I feel for him and then he doesn't have anybody in his life so he doesn't like Christmas and he admits that the record is crap on the radio and he goes on Ant and Deck to promote the record and tells kids that he should be a pop star because if you're a pop star you get drugs for free and you don't have to buy them and then his single gets to number one on New Year's Eve, not New Year's Eve, Christmas Eve, and I was very happy for him. And then he shows up at his manager's on Christmas and was like, yeah, I went to Elton John's, but then I realized you're the one that's been there for me for forever. And that was really cute and adorable. And I really liked how that arced. And like, it felt so weird because in, if you think of a love story in a rom-com, like obviously Bill is not like going to be the main character of a rom-com that's just about one person but his actions affected people, right? Like his actions affected Sam and other people in the Love Actually universe. And it was like, I don't know, I I liked his because it was like something that could really happen, you know? Like after all this time, he's looking back on his life and he's like, whoa, like one person has been there for me and I want to connect with them. And like, I don't know. I went into this thinking I was here for like the love stories and I was, but like Bill was kind of great. Like I was kind of down for like, his story and his self-growth moment. So that was really fun. 
And then we have Oriella and Jamie. And I was spoiled for this love story because Liverpool players Andrew Robertson and James Milner did a GOAT list of Christmas films last year. And they do this for a bunch of different things. It's a whole thing that Liverpool has them do. They do like GOAT list of Christmas or not Christmas, goat list of cookies and goat list of comedy series and stuff. Like, they have a whole thing. It's a whole running thing because they're very funny together. And I'm a Liverpool fan, so obviously I've watched them. And in the thing, Robbo is like, oh, is this one where he goes to Italy and speaks Italian? And they put up that it's like, it's Portugal and Portuguese. And so I already knew how this one was going to end. But that being said, we see that Jamie's wife isn't actually sick. She fakes sick to not go to a wedding to fuck his brother. And then Jamie comes home and catches them. And then he goes to live on his own in a vacation home in France. And his new cleaner is Ariella, and she's Portuguese, so they can't really communicate. And so at first, driving her home is really awkward. And then she picks up the mug that was holding down all of his papers and they all fly out into the lake and so she jumps into the lake and he goes there with her and they kind of like get his pages but not really and Jamie's all like well they're not really worth it to save them and then they're really like in sync afterwards about the whole like maybe you could give me a percentage credit or name a character after you or whatever and my question is like why is he doing it on a typewriter like this movie came out in 2003 I'm pretty sure there was some better technology than a typewriter in 2003 I don't know also him going to like the vacation home alone with a typewriter like gave me the shining vibes and I didn't like that and then he admits that driving Oriella home is his favorite part and Oriella is like leaving you is my least favorite part of the day and then they kiss on his last day she he drops her off and they kiss and then jamie immediately gets into a car crash and then back in london he goes to the school of language showing portuguese and then goes to his family's for christmas eve and drops off all the presents and then it's like yeah by the way i gotta leave and all the kids are like i hate uncle jamie i hate uncle jamie and then he goes to portugal and asks for her hand in marriage and they like have this whole crowd that they've collected and he asks in Portuguese which was really cute that he asked in Portuguese and his proposal speech was so butchered because they had the subtitles and it was like purposely wrong but it like worked and she said yes and she learned English for him and I would have been totally okay with this grand gesture had it not been a proposal because like you only spent a little bit of time together and then you immediately, like, you didn't talk, you didn't whatever, you barely communicated when you were together, and then you just up and ask her to marry you, right? Like, had he been like, I really like you, and I want you to move to Europe, or, they're in Europe, idiot. I want you to move to England so, like, we can be together. And that would have been one thing, and I would have been happy, but, like, he just shows up out of the blue after no talking, no communication. They didn't even build a real relationship. All they did was kiss once, and he's like, I want to marry you. Like, that was a little extreme. You know, like, even for a rom-com grand gesture, usually those are, like, predated by, like, lots of, like, love and admitting they love each other and being together and dating and all this stuff. And, like, the grand gesture makes sense. This time I was like, okay, go get the girl. But, like, why are you asking to marry her? Like, that was a lot, you know? It was cute. And it wasn't, like, the worst of all these rom-coms. But, like, it was down there where I was like, but, but marriage. Marriage? Like, why? Like, it, it, no. No. Anyways, moving on to Daniel and Sam. 
who were my favorite characters because even though I thought I really wanted to have like Christmas love stories like the love between the father and son is love and they're grieving and they're wanting to connect and like they were just really cute and Sam was so adorable too like he was so adorable and cute and like his whole thing made sense too because he like it, it's puppy love they're kids like it was really cute and we start with Daniel's wife's funeral and the video with all her pictures is her final goodbye and then we see Daniel talking to Karen about how he's worried about Sam because all Sam does is stay in his room and he takes Sam to on uh, like the walk or whatever and they sit on the bench and the whole thing about him crying in his room is actually because he's in love and it's a total agony and Daniel's like figuring out that Sam thinks that she's the coolest girl in school and he should be sad about his mom, but all he can think about is, like, the love that he feels for this girl. And amidst all of this, I should have put this in Karen and Harry's thing, but amidst all of this, we learn that, like, Karen and Harry are married, and that's a whole different subject. Like, I have a topic about them. Like, it's a thing. But amidst all of this stuff, because Daniel and Karen are friends, we learn that Karen and Henry are married. Harry are married. And then... Joanna, the girl that Sam is in love with, is going back to America. And I love that Daniel's immediate reaction is like, we need Leo and we need Kate. And they sit down and they watch the Titanic. And that was really adorable. And I was like, yes, this is a proper way to deal with stuff in your life. It's like, just sit down and watch amazing movies. And then Sam sees Billy's weird music video and plans to become a musician to impress Joanna. And so then there's a bunch of scenes of Daniel walking back and forth across his room. And it's like him just practicing and Daniel's like sick and tired of hearing the drums. And then I, after seeing Joanna's concert performance of All I Want for Christmas is You, totally get why Sam is into her because she sang that song really, really well and I really appreciated it. And then Daniel convinces Sam to tell Joanna how he feels, and they, on the way to the airport, run into Carol, and so the kind of implication is that, like, Daniel and Carol could, like, have the start of something, and, like, that's carried out in the end with the final airport scene, and um, they go to the airport, and the same person who's the jewelry salesperson that we see with Harry is there and he distracts them enough so that Sam can run through security and he has the quintessential like airport or running through the airport scene and it's really cute and really adorable and he gets there and the naked show that Billy is putting on is the final distraction he needs that he can get to say bye to Joanna who did know his name all along and leaves him with a kiss on the cheek and it was really adorable and like I really liked that and like obviously at the end like she comes back from America and stuff and like they were really cute and it was like puppy love and yes obviously the running through the airport was dramatic but it was like of all the couples that were going to run through the airport for each other I kind of appreciated it that it was like the little kids because they were so cute and like it was so pure and simple and fun and like I don't know I really liked them. Now moving on to Colin who again like Billy is just another like weird character that like you don't expect to see in a rom-com but like was there and I kind of was here for it because he had like a great life and he didn't like fuck with anything you know like he obviously insulted the food at the wedding to the chef and he then decides to go to America to get a girl and he's not wrong about the whole British accent thing obviously it's blown a little out of proportion when he like walks into the bar and there's immediately like three girls ready to jump him but He's not wrong about having a British accent in America will get you very far. So he gets a ticket to Wisconsin, which, you know, of all the places to go in the States, I would not pick Wisconsin. 
Um, you know, I'm loyal to my home state of California. You know, you could go to New York, Florida, Washington, Jersey. Like, there are many bigger attractions, but he goes to Wisconsin. And he gets to the bar. And he meets the gorgeous girls and immediately becomes a foursome. And then he brings two of them home with him. And I like that he brought them home. Well, he brings one home for, like, to meet other British guys. And he brings, like, Harriet home as his girlfriend. And I'm very okay with her coming back because they had time together in Wisconsin. And they, like, presumably, you know, talked and worked stuff out. And, like, because there's a time jump between, like, the Christmas, the end of all these things, and then the final airport scene. And, like, if they're a committed couple, like, I'm happy for them. And they caused no problems. There was no, like, cheating involved. There was no weird circumstances involved. So, like, good for Colin, you know? And good for Harriet for taking what she wants and finding a British guy that she really likes. So, like, I was happy. And I liked them. Now, we go to one of the most problematic couples. Juliet and Peter, the married couple, and Mark, the best mate. And Mark got the choir to serenade them as they walked back down the aisle after they got married and all the instrument players and musicians were like popping up in the crowd and it was really cute and you could obviously see that Juliet really liked it and yet the guy who organized it was the best mate and not the guy that she married. And I loved that. It was so cute the way they did it and they were all popping up in the crowd and stuff and she like loved it so much and Peter was like, oh yeah, like oh yeah. And then Mark uses way too many words to say that he's not in love with Peter at the wedding when somebody asks him. And so obviously if he's not in love with Peter, he's in love with Juliet. And then Juliet calls and asks him for the wedding footage and he be he is really, really weird about it. And then she comes around and finds the video and asks if they can be friends and as she plays the video she realizes it's all of her and that's why he didn't want her to see the video and then it's obvious that mark is into her and mark saying that he never really like talked to her out of self-preservation because you know she was into peter and he didn't want to get hurt and whatever and then just leaves and is like you can show yourself out and is really really mad at himself but he did the right thing because she's married she's married to your best friend like he did the right thing he should have said this a lot sooner and let her made a choice but he did the right thing like walking out and then he shows up on christmas eve with all the signs and he plays the silent night to pretend it's carolers and says that juliet's perfect and he'll always love her and i was crying because it was the most sweet amazing romantic gesture like i don't know like it was just because going to Portugal and learning Portuguese is one thing, but this was so simple and so cute and so sweet. But this is your best friend's wife. And then she runs out to the street and kisses him. And they never say anything of it. We go, they're in the final airport scene, all is well in their marriage. They haven't talked about it, right? Like, it just, it rubs me the wrong way that, like, we're supposed to be rooting for her to cheat. But, like, I'm okay with rooting for somebody to cheat, Obviously, if their current girlfriend, boyfriend, partner, or whatever in the situation is a bad person. But Peter's not. We don't, like, Peter's a one-dimensional character. We just see him as Juliet's husband. And for all I know, he's perfectly fine. He seems to make her happy. He's nice. Obviously, he tells the carolers to go away, but he wants to spend time with his wife. And, like, it just, like, I don't want to be rooting for them to cheat because, like, why? You know, it just, like, I didn't like it. 
I didn't like it. And I wanted to like it because they were so cute, but I didn't like it. And so it was a little annoying. Now, moving on to David the Prime Minister and Natalie. And on Natalie's, not Natalie's first day, on David's first day, Natalie just calls him straight out, like, David, and then kisses him on the cheek, and then him going into his office and being like, oh, no, this is inconvenient because I have a crush on a staffer. And then he has the meeting, and he's all, who do you need to screw around here for a cup of tea and chocolate biscuits? And then Natalie walks in with the tea, which, like, obviously foreshadowing. And then... David says he has to get to know her because they work together every day and finds out that her ex-boyfriend body shamed her and offering to have her ex-boyfriend murdered because he's the prime minister, which I thought was really funny. And obviously they were never going to do it. It's a Christmas rom-com, but I really liked it. And I liked that he was getting to know her and I liked that it's like, hey, don't read too much into this, but we need to get to know each other. That was cute. And then he walks in on the U.S. president trying to kiss Natalie, like, bastard obviously you're abusing your power because i'm pretty sure she wouldn't have said no because he's the u.s president and like you can't really do that like what if you know she's put in an impossible position because obviously she doesn't want to do it but it's like she works for the prime minister what if he retaliates because she doesn't do it like they especially now in this era that was back in 2003 but especially now after the me too movement has started and stuff in the current global climate like I feel like that's a bigger conversation that needs to be had of like they just kind of threw this in there and it actually is a really big scene and has really big repercussions and like obviously you know David makes a speech the next day about like how you know he calls the president out as a bully and saying that England will be much stronger and that's really good and that he's making like aggressive action but still like I feel like there needed to be a bigger conversation that needs to be had because I thought they were going to go the route of like which Natalie says she didn't want to do it, obviously, because it was always David. But I thought they were going to, like, have a conversation about how, like, she felt like she was put in a position and she really didn't want to do that because she couldn't move away or whatever. You know, like, there should have been that conversation. Anyways, I'm really pulling on about this, and I don't know that I'm making much sense. But there should have been a conversation about people in positions of power, especially given that David is in a position of power compared to Natalie. And obviously, there was nothing ever, like, weird about their relationship, but it does rub me a little bit the wrong way that, like, He's the prime minister and she, like, works on his staff. And obviously, like, he does, like, after he gets caught dancing around the house, um, he asks somebody to redistribute Natalie. Which, like, I was a little mad because I wanted them to continue working together. But also it made sense because, like, if he wanted to pursue a relationship with her, she needed to not work for him. And then he gets... Um, tea from somebody who's not Natalie and is all sad about it, which that is what he deserves considering you have feelings and then ask to redistribute her without even a conversation. And then Natalie sends him this really amazing Christmas card and she's all like, I'm yours, by the way. And then he goes to her street but doesn't know her number, so he knocks on a ton of doors and the kids make him sing carols because they don't know that he's the prime minister. And his driver or bodyguard or whoever is with him has the most amazing voice. And then Mia's door is the one right next to Natalie and tells them that Natalie's next door. And David shows up and gives Natalie and her whole family a lift to the Christmas concert. And David lets Karen believe that he's there to see his niece and nephew in the Christmas concert. And then they sneak, Natalie sneaks David backstage and the curtains open um, to the Merry Christmas banner, and Natalie and David are kissing underneath it, and that was really funny that they were, like, kissing and smiling and waving and had to walk off stage, and 
then, you know, we see them at the airport, and she runs and jumps into his arms, and they were cute, and, like, yes, there was weird moments, like, with the U.S. president and the fact that she worked for him, but on the whole, like, they had a decent relationship, and they were really cute, and so, like, I liked it, and I appreciated it. A couple I did not appreciate, really, was Karen and Harry and Mia, and I love that Karen and Harry's daughter was a lobster in the nativity thing. And then Mia flirts while getting directions to plan the Christmas party. And the flirting continues with the venue planning. And initially going into this, I thought it was going to be Karen and Daniel and Harry and Mia. And then I learned that Karen and Harry are married and that Mia is just like a side piece. And I was like, oh, okay, this is not like rom com because he is a mistress. And Mia and Harry dance at the Christmas party. And Harry pulls the whole fucking boyfriend line. He uses the boyfriend line. You don't use the boyfriend line unless you're interested in somebody. And, like, Karen obviously sees them dancing. And Mia admits that everything she does is for him. And Karen tells him to be careful with Mia because she's really pretty. And then when Harry goes out to go Christmas shopping with Karen... He fucking calls Mia and is like, well, are you getting me a gift? And then goes Christmas shopping with his fucking wife and buys a necklace for his mistress. And then, obviously, Karen finds the necklace in his coat pocket. And so she thinks that she's getting the necklace. And they open all their one gift, like, before Christmas. And she thinks the thing in the box is the necklace because it's the same size. And it's actually the Joni Mitchell CD. And this is where I took pause because I was like, oh... That gift was actually really cute and thoughtful because she had the line about Joni Mitchell and stuff. And it would have been great had he not been buying a gold necklace for his mistress and had his wife not known. And then she plays the CD and she cries and she confronts Harry about it at the pageant. And it looks like they're going to have some talking out to do. And then we go to the final airport scene and it's just totally fine. Like, nobody talks about anything. It's like, oh, whatever. Like, they're all happy together. And I'm like, no, you can't just have him. Like, you. we don't even answer the question. Obviously, like, we don't see Harry and Mia ever, like, fuck or do anything. But you don't even answer the fucking question. She asks, like, is it sex and a necklace? Is it just a necklace? Is it, like, are we having problems? Whatever. Like, we don't answer that question. And, like, I don't understand how you can just expect me to be okay with their happy magical resolution. Like, I don't need to see every nitty-gritty detail, but, like, give me something. Like, show me that they actually are working on themselves. Don't just, like, be like, oh, they're fine magically. Like, that's not how the fucking world works. And, like, I get it. It's a rom-com, but I want a rom-com based in some realism. Is that too much to ask? Sorry. Then we have Sarah and Carol. Carol. Carl. And Harry invites Sarah into his office and tells her to make a move on Carl, which, like, before we learned that Harry was kind of a douche for buying his mistress a gold necklace, I was like, yes, Harry, we love a supportive boss. And she runs into Carl on her way out and doesn't do anything, and Carl passes her on his way out of the office for the night, and it's just the two of them, and she doesn't ask ask him out. And then they slow dance at the Christmas party, and Carl drives her home and kisses her, and they she goes off into the hallway to happy dance for a little bit which is really cute and then she needs 10 seconds to clean everything up and then they start to hook up her damn phone rings and I was mad I was like what the fucking hell don't answer and then we find out that it's her brother and that's why she always picks up and I was like okay you know it's your brother he's ill like nobody else is there to take care of him like I get it if you're gonna answer 
and I like the, I was okay with her picking up the first time once we learned that and once Carl's like okay I get it and they start to hook up again and she, her brother calls again and Carl's like well it won't make him any better so why can't you pick up like why can't you just hold off and like let us have our moment and she just fucking picks up and she's all like I wasn't like I'm not busy I could come over and obviously Carl hears that and like leaves and says Merry Christmas and Sarah immediately like calls her brother and that's kind of like the end of their relationship and I, I wasn't invested because I'm not a huge fan of unrequited love like the whole I've been pining after this guy for two years but I don't actually have conversations with him and I don't actually really know what he likes and like I think I'm in love with him but I'm really in love with this idea of him like I'm not really down with that because it's like you're in love with the idea of a person you're not in love with the actual person and I was kind of excited that they were hooking up and it was gonna be fun but obviously Sarah's destiny is to be like change her brother and have love with her brother and like I'm okay with that, like, right? I mean, I'd want her to live her life, and, like, if this was a book and she was the main character, I'd be, like, pissed the fuck off. But with so many fucking love stories in love, actually, I didn't have time to get attached. I was more attached to David and Natalie, and I was more attached to Daniel and Sam. And Sarah and Carl were just kind of a side thing, and I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And now, finally moving on to the last one, John and Judy, (laughs) and the fact that they met on the set of a porn movie, and the conversations they have are so awkward but kind of fun, and he warms his hands before they're seen, which is really, like, nice and considerate. And then walks her home, and it being really awkward. But they finally kiss, and she is the whole, like, you know, all I want for Christmas is you line. And his happy jump afterwards. And, like, they were adorable and sweet and cute and, like, non-problematic, too. And, like, they actually had conversations. You actually wanted them to get together. There was no circumstances where it was like, oh, maybe don't get together. And so... To wrap up this episode, um, everyone reuniting at Heathrow afterwards was so cute, but there were problems. And, like, it is a classic Christmas movie, but some of the couples were not it. Like, Bill was fine, you know, because it's him and it's his, like, self-growth moment. Arielle and Jamie barely spent any time together and then he just proposes. Daniel and Sam were funny and cute and adorable. And Daniel and, or not Daniel, Sam and Joy and I was totally down for it. Because, like, your kids, it really feels like, you know, like they're kids. Colin was iconic. I love that he was like, I'm going to a Madison, Wisconsin to get a babe. And like, I'm using my British accent. Like, I was down for that. Julian Peter, like, she fucking kissed your best friend and you're still married and you didn't talk about it. And we didn't see them talking about it, whatever. Like, you know, David and Natalie were cute and I liked it, even though she worked for him, which is kind of iffy. Karen and Harry, we never see work on their issues. Sarah and Carl is just sad. John and Judy are great. So it's hit or miss. I'm glad I finally watched it. But I think I think one of my issues is, obviously it's marketed as like, you know, there's multiple different Christmas outcomes and they're all tied together. But nine is too many. Like you can't have proper character development. Even though it's like two and a half hours long, there's not enough character development. We don't see enough because there's nine things we're trying to focus on. Right? And like... With Let It Snow, there's a lot of character development, even though they're intertwined Christmas rom-coms, because there's only three of them. And in an hour and a half movie, you can have character development with three Christmas rom-coms because it's only three storylines. Whereas with this, there's nine fucking story Like, that's a lot of storylines to get through, even in two and a half hours. And, like, because of that, they have to cut out the important parts of rom-coms and they, the things we're starting to see more of in rom-coms today of like working through issues and like talking through stuff and figuring it out and like having those conversations and things that we see in rom-coms and books all the time of like 
fighting and making up and having conversations. Well, in some books. Others were just like, magically works out. But you know, like, we are seeing more and more of that, and we didn't see any of that. And I know it's from 2003, but still, like, I am glad I watched it because for so long it has been built up in my head as this huge thing that I have to watch. Otherwise, you know, like, it's the Christmas rom-com. But now that I've watched it, I can safely say that, like, it's weird coming out of my mouth because I love rom-coms so much. But, like, the Christmas rom-com of Love Actually, I'm like, eh. But I really, I really just, like, like, it just, I don't know, it felt underdeveloped. And parts of it were cute and parts of it were not and like I don't know it was okay but it's not one of my favorite Christmas movies and like I don't know that I'd go back and watch it again unless I was like with friends who all wanted to watch it you know so yeah I have been Maya Ghosh and this has been my take on Love Actually thanks for listening so we're kind of a one-woman show here at my take so the credits are not going to be very long this podcast is produced and edited um by me i do all of my own social media the only person i really have to thank is one of my great friends paris who did the music that is in the intro and that you're listening to now so thank you paris and thank you all for listening you can reach me at underscore my take on twitter and instagram and please leave a rate or review wherever you listen to this podcast that helps a ton so yeah thanks for listening